Hello and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to begin a four-part series on Christian communism. Our story today is by Maya Ward and is entitled, Biden, Cuba, a Failed State. President Joe Biden on Thursday said Cuba is a failed state that is repressing its citizens in his sharpest comments to date on the protests that have erupted on the communist island nation. In his remarks, delivered during a press conference at the White House with German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Biden condemned communism as a failed system, adding that socialism is not a very useful substitute. Biden said the United States is considering many possibilities for helping Cuban citizens while trying to figure out actions the Cuban government would not take advantage of. The president said the U.S. would look into the possibility of sending vaccines to the island to help its fight rising COVID-19 cases, but only if a third-party distributor, like an international health organization, was involved. Biden said he would not send remittances to the country right now because it's highly likely that the regime would confiscate remittances or big chunks of it. Cuba has seen historic protests in recent days, which the administration has attributed to a public health crisis on the island and, more recently, discontent with oppressive political leadership in Cuba. Cuban authorities shut off internet access this week, seeking to thwart the protesters' efforts. Biden said his administration is looking into whether the U.S. has the technological ability to reinstate internet access on the island. On Monday, Biden expressed solidarity with protesters as thousands of Cubans took to the streets to rally against food and medical shortages, a dire economic situation exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Cuban people are demanding their freedom from an authoritarian regime, and I don't think we've seen anything like this protest in a long, long time, if, quite frankly, ever, Biden told reporters Monday. The United States stands firmly with the people of Cuba as they assert their universal rights, he said, and we call on the government of Cuba to refrain from violence in their attempts to silence the voice of the people of Cuba. The president said Monday that the United States stands ready to provide assistance to both Cuba and Haiti, another Latin American country in deep crisis after the assassination of its president last week. Several congressional Republicans have criticized the White House's failure to quickly respond to the unrest in Cuba this week. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, a Cuban-American, sent a letter to Biden on Monday detailing Cubans' suffering as a result of exploitation by the country's government. The current protests in Cuba are not just about current economic shortages, he wrote. They are about the long-standing and deliberate actions taken by the dictatorship to stymie the economic prosperity and political freedom of the Cuban people. White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki repeatedly called Cuba a communist regime that has failed its people during Thursday's press briefing. Communism is a failed ideology, and we certainly believe that. It has failed the people of Cuba. They deserve freedom. They deserve a government that supports them, whether that is making sure they have health and medical supplies, access to vaccines, or whether they have economic opportunity and prosperity, Psaki said. And instead, this has been a government, an authoritarian communist regime, that has repressed its people and has failed the people of Cuba, she added. Okay, so if you haven't heard about what's going on in Cuba, you're probably simply not paying attention to the news. And I, I mean, I can't blame you for ignoring the news. However, if you have been following the news, then of course you're familiar with what's going on in Cuba. People are marching and protesting to end the communist military junta that has despotically ruled the island for six decades. Now, 
for a while, the mainstream media and the White House tried to play this down as being purely a, an iteration of, of COVID fears. It's not. It's communist-related. Although, admittedly, the Cuban people aren't exactly thrilled about COVID either. COVID is not really the issue that's causing these protests. Communism is the issue. Despotism is the issue. And all over America, there are those who are trying to blame America for Cuba's problems. People like Bernie Sanders and the BLM crew, they're out there saying that it's U.S. sanctions that are causing the Cuban nation to be so poor. And yet most people attempting to blame American sanctions and, of course, white supremacy. Uh, yes, people are blaming white supremacy and systemic racism for Cuban poverty. Most people attempting to do that really aren't taking Cuba's economic behavior seriously, and they're ignoring the fact that China, Russia, and Venezuela, that, that have, you know, those countries have fairly large economies, you know, have been supporting uh, Cuba for a very long time, and eventually they just got sick of footing the bill, much like the Soviet Union got sick of paying the bill for Eastern Europe and decided to let the, you know, the communist bloc in Eastern Europe just simply dissipate and, and move away from uh, the Soviet sphere of influence in the same way a lot of these major communist countries, well, Russia is no longer a communist country, but these major communist countries are simply saying, Cuba, you're on your own. Venezuela doesn't have the money. China has the money, but really doesn't think it's a good investment. And Russia neither has the money nor thinks it's a good investment, nor is Russia a communist country right now. But those countries have helped Cuba in the past. They have bankrolled the Castro regime. They have ensured that despite U.S. sanctions, enough money would flow in so that the system would not collapse on itself, which is, of course, the point of sanctions. Uh, and and these, these things are ridiculous. People that are blaming U.S. sanctions for Cuban poverty, they're, they're ridiculous people who are saying these things. People who are saying that white supremacy is the problem in Cuba, they're ridiculous people, and they deserve to be laughed at. But it's also depressing and disturbing that there are many people who believe this. And it's indicative of the warmth that many Americans have for communism as a system. Uh, the Miami Herald, in fact, estimates that up to a third of millennials and 30% of Gen Zers view communism positively. And it isn't just atheists and secularists who are making merry about Marxism. Christians have been trying to find common cause with communists for some time, shockingly, or maybe not so shockingly, America Magazine, the, the magazine for Catholics, published a long article making the case for Catholic communism in 2019. Liberal Christians of the social justice persuasion have been pushing Christian socialism for many a long year, and there have been many attempts over time to try to smuggle communism into the biblical text, particularly two passages that we're going to look at right now. First, in Acts chapter 4, we read, The multitude of believers was one in heart and soul. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they owned. With great power, the apostles continued to give their testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. There were no needy ones among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell their property, bring the proceeds from the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet for distribution to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Others will point to another passage. They'll look at Matthew chapter 20. And they'll point out this very well-known passage of scripture. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. 
he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. He did the same thing about five in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why haven't you, why have you been standing around all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So those who came and were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and yet you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Then take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The problem is that these texts do not advocate communism. The Bible neither teaches nor promotes communism. The Bible neither teaches nor promotes communism as a political economic system, nor does the Bible affirm the purported outcome of communist policies, which is the economic equality of all people. Communism pushes for a classless society where all incomes are equal, mainly because incomes don't exist. At least according to Engels, the society will have no money at all. People won't need money because what is needed can be had for free, produced by one member of the society for use by all members of society. In the Communist Manifesto, Marx writes about the things that will happen as nations move towards communism, and I quote from the Communist Manifesto, Chapter 2. The proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest by degree all capital from the bourgeoisie, to centralize all instruments of production in the hands of the state, i.e., of the proletariat organized as the ruling class, and to increase the total productive forces as rapidly as possible. Of course, in the beginning, this cannot be effected except by means of despotic inroads on the rights of property and on the conditions of bourgeois production by means of measures, therefore, which appear economically insufficient and untenable, but which, in the course of the movement, outstrip themselves, necessitate further inroads upon the old social order, and are unavoidable as a means of entirely revolutionizing the mode of production. These measures will, of course, be different in different countries. Nevertheless, in most advanced countries, the following will be pretty generally applicable. Abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. 2. A heavy, progressive, or graduated income tax. 3. Abolition of all rights of inheritance. 4. Confiscation of the property of all emigrants and rebels. 5. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. 6. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. 7. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state, the bringing into cultivation of wastelands, and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. 8. Equal liability of all to work, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. 9. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of all the distinction between town and country by a more equable distribution of the populace over the country. 10. Free education for all children in public schools, abolition of children's factory labor in its present form, combination of education with industrial production, etc., etc. What Marx and Engels are talking about in all of this 
is that property belongs to the state. You do not own anything. You merely use that which you use because you are a member of the state, and your work supports all other workers, and in return, you are allowed to take what you need. Let's not forget the communism, real communism, the communism that's, it's so wonderful. The, the ideal communism, not, you know, communism as it actually is in the real world, the, the communism that inevitably leads to starvation, murder, oppression, kleptocracy, rape, torture, and godlessness. Not, not communism as it actually is. What, what we're talking about is, is the beautiful, wonderful, never been tried before, rare virginal unicorn communism, communism as Marx would have it. Well, what happens in this perfect, never-before-been-tried communist system per Marx? The abolition of private property, the abolition of inheritance, the abolition of personal rights. That's communism. That's the glorious, wondrous, never-before-been-tried communism. And I'm here to tell you that communism is not Christian. Communism is not biblical. Communism is not even extrapolable from Christian principles. What that means is that you can't try to build a framework for Christian communism out of a Christian theology that's built on the Bible. I mean, you can be a Christian and advocate for communism, but you can be a Christian and advocate for purple being the best year of the month, or you can be a Christian and advocate for Nickelback being the greatest band of all time. You can be a Christian and advocate a lot of crazy and incoherent things. That doesn't make your idea Christian. It makes it a crazy idea advocated by a Christian, which is a different thing altogether. Unfortunately, we don't really understand the difference because so many American Christians have been fed so much milk for so long that they can't really remember the taste of steak. We've become so intellectually and theologically lazy in the American church that we're no longer able to make basic distinctions between categories, categories that should be fairly easy to distinguish. Yeah, there are lots of Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians, who advocate for Christianity being compatible with communism. That's irrelevant because the biblical data and the theology that can reasonably be built off the theological data demonstrate that communism is antithetical to biblical notions of legitimate income sources, of private property ownership, of the rights of inheritance, of the rights of self-determination, of the rights of nations for self-determination. The Bible not only doesn't teach communism, but it teaches an economic system that, while not being unfettered libertarian capitalism, is at least compatible with forms of capitalism. But the Bible is not compatible with communism. Biblical economics and biblical personal and national rights preclude communism from being a legitimate contender. Nor did the early church practice communism. Nor did the early church commend communism. Communism is neither taught by the New Testament nor is it testified to in a narrative fashion. Communism is neither prescribed or described in the New Testament. Nor does the Bible have a trajectory moving towards communism. Because eschatological teachings of the Bible uniformly reject equality of outcome as being the standard of reward reception for believers in the millennial and eternal states. So what we're talking about, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to go over the Old Testament and see what kind of economy God prescribed. Then we're going to look at the New Testament and see what kind of economy the Bible promotes there. Then finally, we're going to deal with some issues of theology and ask if the trajectory of the Bible tends towards communism. Spoiler alert, it, it doesn't. But I hope you'll join us for the next three weeks as we look at uh, economics in the Old Testament, New Testament, and, and the th Christian theology of, of economics and labor. Uh, and I, I can't wait for you to join us uh, then on some more exciting episodes of Truth and Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.